Welcome to the Grow Kinder podcast, where thought leaders in education explore how social emotional learning can help us navigate society's most pressing challenges and create a kinder, more compassionate world. Brought to you by Committee for Children. Hi, Grow Kinder listeners. It's your host, Andrea Levenhill. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Jody Grant, Executive Director of the After School Alliance. That is a nonprofit public awareness and advocacy organization, and they work to ensure that all children and youth have access to quality, affordable after-school programs. Jody's doing great work at the helm of the organization, helping to ensure that out-of-school time programs can help students stay engaged and recover from the pandemic, and providing families with essential supports as well as working in the field. I'm excited to dive into the conversation today, so it's great to connect with you, Jody. Welcome. Thank you so much, Andrea. I'm thrilled to be here. So I'm sure that there are a lot of avenues that we can go down to talk about your work, but I'd first just like to give listeners some context for it. So can you share a little about yourself and the work that you're doing at the After School Alliance? Sure. So I've been with the After School Alliance 16 years now, which is somewhat extraordinary. My passion for after school began when I taught in a summer learning program, which was a real chance to inspire and engage kids in a setting that was outside school. And so I'm really lucky that I've gotten to have a career in this remarkable area. The After School Alliance, we have a very simple mission, which is that we think that all kids should have access to high quality after school and summer learning programs and that finances should not prevent that. And then across the board, we are constantly striving to improve what's happening in after school and summer learning programs. And we strongly believe that where most of our kids spend at least 80% of their time during COVID, it was 100% of their time outside of the classroom, they are still learning and we can really maximize the opportunities for them to learn and grow during the time that they're not in a school classroom. Yeah. And I think another thing that's probably helpful is what do you consider after school? Is it anything that takes place after school? That is such a good question. And the answer is no, it's not anything. We consider there are many, many opportunities for after school enrichment, which is different from a comprehensive after school program. So you might have, you know, a karate club or a soccer team or a theater production or tutoring. A comprehensive after school program is something where kids have access to a host of enrichment activities. Often, you know, the older the kids, the more they have a say in what those activities might be. It might be coding, it might be robotics, it might be tennis. They also have access to homework help and tutoring, usually a chance to accelerate if they want, and meals. And we do not believe that every child needs comprehensive after-school programs. We want it to be available and then allow parents and kids to really have all of these opportunities in their portfolio of things they can be doing in those hours after school. It might also include jobs and internships, apprenticeships for older youth. I'm hearing a lot of themes there of, well, access so that it's, it's available, that there's some level of personalization and understanding what kids and families may need from those particular programs and that they're able to get that. I know that in this past year, there have been so many calls for racial justice, long overdue, urgent calls. And that's really spurred a lot of organizations and in particular education advocates to think about work differently or to elevate work that they were already doing around equity. 
And I'm curious how the After School Alliance has really been thinking about equity and inclusion in your work. And has anything changed over the past year as you sort of look at the effects of the pandemic and the nationwide calls for social justice? So our work has always been about equity and inclusion. The reality is, and all of our research shows this, that for kids whose families can afford enrichment and after school and summer learning, Mm. they have it. And far too many of our kids are left behind. And that is disproportionately children of color, immigrant children. And so we have always been working to try to get public resources and philanthropic resources to support those kids in after school and summer learning. I think that COVID exacerbated this difference. And far too many of our kids were unable to learn virtually for a variety of reasons. We also know from our research that well clear kids were able to meet in person for this enrichment in a way that kids without means were not. So I think that it's incredibly important. There's some amazing things that were going on in the after-school field. It was our field that quickly morphed from after-school programs to all-day programs to serve the children of essential Mm -hmm. workers throughout the pandemic. And then in many places, but not enough, the after-school programs literally created what we call learning centers or hubs, where kids could go in very small pods and do virtual school learning and then have access to safe enrichment that was socially distanced and following all the CDC protocols. I did want to add too, and I think this is important both you know pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, one of the most important things when we're thinking about equity and opportunities is also giving our kids a chance to be with a caring adult. And that mentoring piece is really essential. And that's one of the things that after school provides. And throughout the pandemic, you had after school providers, many of whom come from the same communities and the same background as the kids were serving, checking in on kids. And sometimes it was virtual, sometimes it was by phone, and sometimes it was in person to really make sure that the kids knew that they mattered that we knew they were struggling, that people cared. And I don't want to overlook how essential that is because obviously after-school programs help kids academically and they help them with all sorts of professional skills like confidence, teamwork. But that mentor piece is really kind of some of the special sauce that really turns on that light bulb for a child. Yeah, that's an amazing call out. That's something that's very connected to our work and social emotional learning and We think about having that trusted adult and the relationship that develops there and how important that is to positive, healthy outcomes for children. So I'm really happy to hear you talk about that. And I just wanted to add, because you mentioned that, and I think that's important, is I'm on the board of the Search Institute, which is a fabulous nonprofit, and they have done a lot of work on developmental relationships. And one of the things they found, and this is reported by the youth themselves, is that the strongest relationships are in the after-school space. Hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense in our own. We've been looking at, you know, out of school time spaces and we've developed a program for that as well. And in our work with those providers, we really found that they were so connected to the communities and families that they served and very reflective of those communities. And the kids were very engaged and it was such a an enriching space for everyone involved. I've definitely seen a lot of instances of what you're talking about here in Seattle as far as those providers really stepping up to offer, you know, really necessary spaces for children, in particular children of essential workers. So that's something 
I really saw, you know, firsthand here. I'm thinking a lot, and I'm sure you are, about summer. You know, there's a lot of schools that are talking about that, you know, and the learning loss and how they're going to really help children have a summer that prepares them for a return to school and maybe some still unknown circumstances for a lot of those kids and families. So with summer kind of around the corner, in thinking about learning and social emotional well-being, you released a special report time for a game-changing summer. I think it would be really helpful to just hear what are some key findings from that? What information did you glean that you hope people engage more with? So what we found is that the interest in summer learning, which is, I think it's sort of a hybrid between summer camp and I wouldn't say summer school, but Mm -hmm. academic learning. Kids can be learning and preparing for school by doing outdoor ed, by doing a theater production, by having a literary club, by doing coding or robotics. Um, There's so many hands-on, exciting, engaging ways for kids to learn. And what we found is that more and more kids are involved in these kinds of programs, but just like after school, there's really an issue of Mm -hmm. affordability. And so far too many of our kids, particularly, again, you know, kids of color, immigrant children are being left behind from these programs. And I think that this summer is a particularly exciting time because for the first time ever, there is real money in the new American Rescue Plan. So this is a COVID bill passed by the federal government to support summer learning and to support after school. So we have a chance to break down what we heard were the two biggest barriers, which are cost and transportation, so that more of our kids can be in these programs. And then the other thing I wanna emphasize is the flip of that, which is that like it's so important for our kids to be engaged. They've been isolated for months. We want them to have fun. We want them to remember their kids. They can be learning as part of that, but we don't want to go overboard. And we have to think about quality over quantity, because I think putting kids in a classroom all summer would be a grave mistake. And, you know, the Wallace Foundation has done a lot of research with brand about what makes a high quality summer learning program. And it really involves this hybrid mix of thoughtful learning and fun. And in many of the programs, you can have teachers that are teaching kids, but the teachers too want that freedom to do it in a different way over the summer. So I truly hope that this summer, and it's not just this summer because the federal dollars are available for the next three summers, that we can do something extraordinary for our kids. Mm -hmm. And also not worry so much about catching them up because they've been learning throughout this process, but getting them in a place where we can take the best of what we've been through and the worst of it and have them prepared to move forward. Hmm. So it sounds like you see that there's an opportunity for innovation around that because of all the learning that we've had about how children can be engaged, not only in the long history of after school programs, but also in this unique circumstance in the pandemic and what was being done remotely versus in person. We also feel very strongly that where there can be in-person learning and engagement happening, that there's such a key aspect of that that is play and social time and really helping form those connections and bonds between not only the children, but the adults in the space. And that kind of leads me more into this space of social emotional learning, which is where we are really focused. I think it'd be really valuable to hear how you think about social emotional learning as it plays into after-school programs for kids, how is it creating environments that are, or not, creating environments that are you know, diverse, equitable, inclusive, and really promoting child wellness or connection there? 
first, I just want to back up with you and say that I couldn't agree more about the in-person mm-hmm. piece, both as a professional and mm-hmm. as a parent. And it makes me incredibly sad to see what has happened this past year, because I think far too many of our kids lost those opportunities. And I think that the cost was far greater than we could have anticipated. And I do think that some of the things we're learning, you know, particularly with the after school field, I hope there's something we can embed going forward so that we have a system that incorporates social emotional learning in school, after school with more choices and more opportunities for kids that aren't just so school-based. I actually see this whole vision of community learning systems where kids can go to a variety of places and be learning and getting credit, including school, but beyond school. And I would say, you know, when you talk about social emotional learning, I think it means so many things to so many different people. But in our space, I think the number one priority, which, you know, feeds into that is that kids need to feel safe both physically and emotionally. So we need to create environments where kids support each other, where they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, where they you know, try to understand differences and embrace differences. And then I think there's some terrific specific curriculum out there that really focuses on a host of the skills, whether it's collaboration, teamwork, you know, there's a lot of programs now that are doing mindfulness and helping yoga, you know, working with emotional control. Far too many of our kids have suffered trauma. So, you know, even more necessary, you know, trauma-informed care, which a lot of it is kind of social emotional learning to the next degree and having that training to really work through that. And I do think that listening and having caring adults is a big piece of that. But that said, there's some terrific programs out there that are really focusing on, you know, curriculum that they can measure on social emotional learning. Since you talk about that, are there examples of after school or out of school time leaders or programs that you're really seeing kind of shine through this very challenging set of circumstances? Yeah, no, I think we're seeing it across the board. You know, one program that comes to mind is LA's Best. So just a little south of Seattle, Mm -hmm. where they have a really strong social emotional learning curriculum and trauma-informed care curriculum that they've been engaging with their children. There's another program called Kid Grit, which is, you know, national that is really focused on social emotional learning. But I would say we're at the point now in the field where if you're looking at a STEM program, or you're looking at a program on writing, they're focusing on social emotional learning too. So looking at what are some of these non-academic skills that are so important. So can you have, you know, there's another program, Write Brain, and I know that they'll have kids collaborate on writing mm-hmm. a story. And so there's all of these skills that are going into something that you might think is, you know, an English academic skill, but is actually incorporating everything else. If you look at something like FIRST Robotics and all of the teamwork and production and this whole idea that, you know, if your competitor needs help, you help them because they might be your partner in the next round. So, you know, you go and provide whatever tools or assistance they need. This is constantly being woven into what we're doing in a variety of different practices. And I think that's really important, too, because, you know, part of after school is taking that spark and looking where kids have passions and then embedding the learning into it. I'd say another really hot spot in after school right now is finding ways for kids to actually have a social Mm -hmm. impact. 
And again, a lot of that's done in a group setting where they're learning a variety of skills and having a variety of responsibilities, but then they're advising whether it's their school district or their community on some, you know, meeting one of the needs and demands. Mm -hmm. Wow. There's a lot there. You know, I personally, you're making me a little nostalgic for after school programs that I thought did that pretty well for me when I was growing up. But I definitely started out at a very young age in an after school program that was very much like being in school, like an extended school day. And I was really young and I have very clear memories of just feeling exhausted. Like I just felt (laughs) because, you know, you have to, it was very much, you know, you're still contained, you're still very structured and scripted, especially I think at that time in, in education and how classrooms were set up and how folks were thinking about you know, kind of behavior management and young children, some of those things. And so, you know, when you unlock these keys that really recognize, you know, the power of having social connection and play and choice in how you engage in learning and involvement in the community, that is seems so powerful, you know, and just sort of thinking about that and the growth of the after school space. Are there particular policy initiatives or things that are in the works that you think people should be paying attention to, to really sort of help us recognize that benefit? You talked about the need around expansion, but... Right. I think people should really, at the most local of levels, be thinking about partnerships. And the truth is, these federal dollars that I'm talking about, the majority of these funds are going to local education agencies. So it's going to be imperative that they reach out to other members of the community and work with your local Boys and Girls Club or Y or 4-H. I would say work with your local businesses because there can be internships and apprenticeships that are part of this. Work with your local faith-based organizations to really find who's already out there working with our children and youth and bring those partnerships together so that we can have something that's much more vibrant and hands-on and real Mm -hmm. and relevant for our kids and both for the summer and after school, you know, when it continues. I also think we need to really think about taking care of our after school Mm -hmm. staff because there are tremendous people doing tremendous things. But the reality is, as these programs get more and more sophisticated, our staff need more and more training Mm -hmm. too. I mean, they need training in trauma-informed care. They need training in SEL. They need training in STEM and they need livable wages. So I think one of the things we're, you know, focused on right now is very much like there's this opportunity to really do something terrific. And, you know, we have a staffing Mm -hmm. shortage. How do we not only recruit, but retain people in our field, create paths for promotion for people in our field so that we can continue to do all these things and do them in a way that it really matters. And then I would flag to the the relevancy. You know, 30 years ago when I taught in an after-school program, I taught English, but even then my kids wrote a newspaper. So, you know, trying again to make after school feel like something that doesn't feel like school, but you're still using those skills. So, you know, if you're interviewing people, you're taking photos, you're writing stories, we're getting practice with all of those core academic mm-hmm. skills. But then we're also, you know, thinking about all these other skills of interacting, interacting with people that might be different than you if you're doing an interview, you know. So really using our space to do something that looks and feels different and isn't exhausting for kids. And I would also say, when we think about these comprehensive programs that I advocate for, I wouldn't underestimate the importance Mm -hmm. of meals. You know, far too many of our kids are food insecure. 
And throughout the pandemic, after-school programs did tremendous work with delivering meals and creating meal sites. And we did a lot of advocacy to make sure that you didn't have to have a kid show up to get every single meal during the pandemic, that we could deliver mm -hmm. meals you know, in bulk. And so if they're in a summer program or an after-school program, that supper or that breakfast, lunch, and ideally snack or supper makes a huge difference to all-around learning. Mm, that's a great point. We work so much with schools directly or with districts directly. And, and I know that some significant segment of those who listen to the Grow Kinder podcast are school leaders, district leaders, educators in the classroom. And I can sort of pull from a lot of what you said to get to this. But I wonder if you have, you know, kind of could encapsulate some advice for them in thinking about how they work with or integrate more after school programming with their students, because I I think some, you know, sometimes that's district run and sometimes it's not. And so, you know, there's just such a variety of ways that they're interacting and probably not always in a very functional way. So what advice do you have for that school after school connection? So my first piece of advice is that we know how much our schools and our teachers are under pressure and they should not do this alone. And so they should absolutely think of after school as a resource. I would encourage all of them. We've done a bunch of webinars at www.afterschoolalliance.org that focus on this and have specific examples. So every community is really different. And we did one webinar with Dan Dominique, who heads the superintendents for, for nationally for the United States, to really figure out what are the resources in your community to tap into. In some places, there's already strong relationships. I think principles can be absolutely key in this. And in some places, the relationships may need to be built up but we have examples and tools to really help that happen. There's also 50 state after-school networks. So every single state has a state network that can help with some of the technical assistance and ideas to get this off the ground. But it could look very different. I've seen after-school programs where they have tremendous partnerships with the local Native American community to teach culture and language, particularly if the you know students are primarily of Native American heritage. I've seen, you know, you might have a program where it's, you know, lassoing and rodeo because that's part of the culture in that community. And, and we really do want programs and schools to be connecting around what makes sense in their community for their kids. But I'd say even in the tiniest of communities, there's some resources there. And together, now there's some dollars to really get this right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's say there are after-school providers, those who are leaders of after-school programs. How are you seeing them be successful in making connections with the community and understanding the needs of the communities that they're serving or really kind of creating that connection between, because that can be difficult for schools. I know I've seen less difficulty around after school programs, but what do you see there? I was going to say hire and train people from the community. You know, that's the number one priority. And sometimes in schools, you know, we've seen some really innovative examples, many coming out of California, where you have some of the paraeducators mm -hmm. and other educators who are from the same communities of kids we serve, who use after school as a stepping stone to become teachers, mm -hmm. which is really wonderful. You know, thinking too about that experience of as we train teachers, the after school space could be a place where we do it. And it can be a place where people can work while they study. But I think it's really key. And I think it's one of the things that after school does well is hiring people from the same community as the kids. What we don't do well is, you know, we're hiring 
people from impoverished communities to serve impoverished kids and we're not helping them themselves get out of that poverty. So I think, you know, thinking about wages and benefits is a big concern right now, but it's absolutely, and in some places we've been really successful in having older kids work with younger youth too. So I would, you know, I think that's a huge model where you have, you know, kids getting paid and trained to work with younger kids. And then I think the internships, apprenticeships, that whole model for our older kids is a great way to make everything relevant. And again, really connect our kids and our after school and our schools to the community. Yeah, there's so much opportunity here. It's exciting to talk to you about it. And I, and I wish yeah. I ha- had more time to explore all the nuances here. Maybe we could have you back at another time if you're willing to do that. But I would love to do that. So, you know, this is the Grow Kinder podcast. And so something that I I was just thinking maybe we'd close with is I'd love to know two things. First of all, if you, over the course of your life, there was a moment where you experienced kindness that you felt really maybe changed your perspective or created a mindset around how you interact with others. That's number one. And maybe you want to tackle that first and then I'll ask my second part. So I didn't get to become executive director of the After School Alliance on my own. There are many people throughout my life that have been my mentors and have showered kindness on me. And I think it's really important to play that forward. So I would say that, you know, every time I mentor someone, every time I may help make connections for them, my request to them is that they do that for someone when they're in a position like mine. I was thinking about that question because it's really hard to narrow it down to any particular example, but I'm going to give a shout out to a woman named Dr. Ann Bosshart, who I adore. And she and her husband, Michael, when I was in law school and did not have a lot of resources, they did not know me. I was a complete stranger. And they let me come live in their house in Oakland. Actually, I was in Berkeley for a month so that I could intern for the Youth Law Center, working with incarcerated youth and getting education to incarcerated youth. And I think that in many ways that helped shape my career and my passion for working with kids and creating opportunities for kids and help make that possible. Wow. That's big to offer your home to someone, especially a stranger. So thank you for sharing that. The other thing is when we talk about the kindness of others or actually doing kind acts ourselves, you're saying sort of like asking for that pay it forward mentality and mentorship. We sometimes forget, you know, being kind to ourselves (laughs) and you have, um, you know, quite a lot of work that you're doing in this space. You're trying to sort of, you know, be a field leader, move some of these initiatives forward for children and supporting this field. So what do you do for yourself? How do you practice kindness for yourself on that journey? That's a good question. It's a hard question because I think so many of us and I talk for myself and for my team, because I think it's really important for the extraordinary team I work with. We are so caught up in the work that we don't take time for ourselves. So I would say for me, one of my big releases is exercise. So I like to bike or run, but sometimes it's hard to find time for that. I think that's a constant challenge. Sometimes if I can make the time for a good book, you know, something that clears my head, that really helps. Thank you so much for being with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? I just want to add for all of your listeners that we have 
a wealth of resources, tools, and examples of all of these partnerships for schools and after school and out of school. We have curriculum that is virtual. We have curriculum that is safe and socially distant for those places where we're still worried about COVID. We're working with the CDC on guidelines all the time. So please use our resources. They're free, www.afterschoolalliance.org. And are there any other places they should go to learn more about you or, or your work or the main website is primary? I would say the main website, and then there's one called helpkidsrecover.org that we also have put out there to really help spur some of this, you know, possible growth in after school and summer learning. All right. Thank you so much. I know that's going to provide folks with a lot of good resources. So we appreciate you sharing that and we appreciate your time today. And thank you for all you're doing to really advance this field, which I think is incredibly important for the social emotional well-being of children and families. So thank you. Well, a huge thank you for allowing me to share. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. For more episodes and information, visit growkinderpodcast.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear more about you and what you think of the Grow Kinder podcast. Until next time, be sure to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Stitcher.